Connects talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing positive data for Eli Lilly's diabetes and weight loss injection and Novartis's Sandoz Biosimilars Awareness Campaign. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter and Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today. I'm going to start us off with a story about Eli Lilly's continually, uh, growingly successful drug, terzepatide. So Eli Lilly recently announced and revealed more positive data for terzepatide as a weight loss injection. So as we all know, terzepatide, known by its brand name Munjaro, was approved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes um, in adult patients last month by the FDA. So, you know, it's still, Eli Lilly is still riding high on that big approval uh, of uh, Munjaro, which is a dual targeting GIP GLP-1 injection. And now uh, the company has released new analyses that show that it could also be um, a weight loss injection for obese patients. So Eli Lilly presented the latest data from trials evaluating terzepatide for weight loss at the American Diabetes Association's 82nd Scientific Sessions meeting. Now, results from those analyses showed that individuals who were obese or overweight, who did not have type 2 diabetes, and that received 5 milligrams of terzepatide, lost an average of 16% or 35 pounds. Now at higher doses, uh, such as a 10 milligram dose, the average weight loss was 21.4% or 49 pounds. And at the highest 15 milligram dose, um, a weight loss of 22.5% or 52 pounds was observed. Now what was pretty striking is that about 40% of participants lost a quarter of their body weight um, in the trials. And uh, this new data comes just a month again after Lily's um, approval of Manjaro for type 2 diabetes, but, but also um, at around the same time, the company had also shared results from its late stage Surmount 1 trial uh, looking at the drug for weight loss. And that data back um, a month ago that was released showed that terzepatide led to an average weight loss of 50 pounds or 21% compared to placebo. So in the phase three surmount one trial, terzepatide met both its primary endpoints of helping patients achieve a superior mean percent change in body weight from baseline, and also helping a greater percentage of patients reach at least 5% body weight reduction compared to placebo. And that was uh, 89% of patients on the low dose of terzepatide and 96% on the higher doses achieved at least 5% weight loss versus only 28% of patients in the placebo control group. In addition, the weight loss injection also led to significant decreases in waist circumference. Um, so 5 milligrams of terzepatide led to a 14.6 centimeter reduction, 10 milligrams a 19.4 centimeter decrease, and a 15 milligram dose led to 
um, trimming off 19.9 centimeters. Now, results of the study were published in the New England Journal of Medicine this month. So, uh, Dr. Robert Gabay, who's the chief medical officer of the American Diabetes Association, told uh, CNN that the weight loss that um, was achieved in this study was even greater than what had been seen in the previous studies of people with diabetes. And to put, you know, sort of these results and this data into perspective, he explained that the middle range of weight loss for people in this new study was 49 pounds, which is quite a lot. Um, and this is the weight, this is the range of weight loss that um, is typically only possible through surgery. So the burgeoning positive data for terzepatide as a weight loss injection is looking to give, of course, Novo Nordisk's reigning obesity shot Wigovi, which is a single GLP-1 receptor agonist um, drug. It's known as semaglutide. Um, so yeah, the competition um, seems to be there. Eli Lilly is definitely looking to edge out Novo Nordisk. So both companies have a GLP-1 receptor agonist, uh, one that is for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, and then at different dose, at a different dose, um, one that can lead to weight loss and then be marketed as an obesity drug. So Novo Nordisk's um, type 2 diabetes semaglutide drug is called Ozempic, and Wagovi is its weight loss or obesity drug. Same drug, but a higher dose of it. So Eli Lilly is looking to do um, the same thing. So, so far, it only has approval for type 2 diabetes, and of course, that's Munjaro. And so with the, these new results, um, it's going to be looking to follow the same route as Novo Nordisk to bring in uh, the same drug as an, an as an obesity drug as well. So Eli Lilly also presented analyses from a phase one mechanism of action study that looked at terzepatide in adults with type 2 diabetes. And the exploratory analysis of the data showed that terzepatide led to significant fat mass reductions compared to placebo and Novo Nordisk's semaglutide. Um, in addition to that, uh, there were a lot of other metrics that were looked at in the analysis, including um, significant reductions being observed from baseline in terms of energy intake, as well as reductions in appetite ratings after patients received um, terzepatide. In addition to that, a post hoc analysis of five studies with the Surpass Global Registration Program also show that between 87% and 97% of participants taking terzepatide experienced both A1C and weight reductions. Now, with the stellar trial results for terzepatide continuing to come in um, as a weight loss injection and also continuing to see, you know, stellar results for it as a type 2 diabetes medication, um, industry analysts are, you know, really hopeful in putting up big predictions for the drug, particularly, again, as I mentioned, as a rival to Novo Nordisk's obesity drug, Wigovi. So SVB securities research analysts expect that terzepatide sales could hit $14.1 billion in 2030, while Evaluate Vantage has uh, put forth a target of $4.9 billion in sales by 2026. So I just wanted to get your thoughts about, um, once again, yeah, Munjaro was a huge story of, you know, 
being the first in its class, actually, a GIP1 and GLP1 receptor agonist. So you have uh, a dual targeting drug here. Um, and now, you know, the company is, uh, Eli Lilly is looking to um, go into the realm of obesity as it's, you know, trialing the drug for weight loss. Just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, so I noticed from the data that you were reading, um, it seems like there's not that much difference between the 10 milligram dose and the 15 milligram dose of um, terzepatide, right? It seems possibly because, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. 10 milligrams, I mean, they lost 49 pounds yeah. mm -hmm. for weight loss. Um, and the 15 milligram dose led to 52 pounds being lost on average. So Possibly it's like reaching the upper limit of how yeah. much it could it could it could work. Possibly, probably would you know it, it seems like it might be plateauing at a certain dose. But the other thing in this equation is that um, I I can't remember how long the study was, but I think um, some experts were saying how if they had gone longer that they would see even more weight loss uh, reductions over a longer period of time of the patients being on the drugs. So yeah, the dose is one thing and then also the time or of administration in terms of how long patients will be on the drug. That's also another component of this as well. But yeah, you're right. It seems that like the 10, there's not much, a huge difference between the 10 and 15 milligram doses. So it'll be interesting to see what dose they um, sort of settle on in terms of um, submitting for approvals and things like that. So how exactly does one get, um, or would one get a prescription for yeah, good question. I guess it would obviously for sure have to go through your, your doctor and, um, of course, have... I think there are a lot of other factors at play because this drug um, or these specific results are for were looked at in people that did not have type two diabetes. So even though it was you know it's a type two diabetes drug, they wanted to see whether patients who were obese could benefit from it if they didn't have type two diabetes. So both kind of conditions sort of play hand in hand in a lot of cases, but then there are a lot of patients who don't have diabetes and are obese. So they wanted to, they want to really market this drug to those patients. So that is definitely going to be a factor in terms of who the profile of the patients will be, right? Um, so they're definitely overweight, obese patients and um, as determined by BMI or body mass index. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next story. And this is about biosimilars. So Novartis's biosimilars and generics drug unit, Sandoz, has launched a biosimilars awareness campaign to help improve biosimilars adoption worldwide. Sandoz's bio new global biosimilars campaign is called Act for Biosimilars, and the goal is to help raise awareness about biosimilars, including um, what they are, and also increase their adoption by at least 30% in over 30 countries by the year 2030. Now, Sando says that the goal of the Act for Biosimilars campaign is to really help address global health inequity and inequality by increasing access to advanced medicines like biosimilars. And this will be made achievable by improving the approvability, accessibility, acceptability, and affordability, which are the four A's of biosimilars. 
Now, once again, biosimilars are generic versions of biologic medicines that already have regulatory approval. And so the original product is called the reference product. And um, once the patents expire on those products, and that leads to a loss of exclusivity rights, then you can have generic versions or biosimilars come into the market as well. So biosimilars are designed to be highly similar to the reference product that they are modeled after, and therefore they match the reference product with respect to quality, safety, and efficacy. Now, Sandoz is actually a pioneering leader in generic pharmaceuticals and biosimilars, and the company launched the world's very first biosimilar in Europe in 2006, and in the U.S., it won its um, the first ever biosimilar approval in 2014. Now, why are biosimilars less expensive than their reference products? Well, there are a number of factors, and one of the main ones is that there are lower R&D costs associated with developing a biosimilar because all of the groundwork has already been done um, for the original reference product. Um, and also, there's a shorter and cheaper path to regulatory approval um, because of things like reduced clinical trial requirements. Now, on average, biosimilars are currently about 30% cheaper than original branded biologics. Um, and the expectation is that they could become even cheaper in the years to come. And uh, so the Act for Biosimilars campaign by Sandoz is being led by a steering committee that is made up of patient advocacy leaders, healthcare professionals, biosimilar experts, as well as industry leaders from around the world to facilitate the company's 30 by 30 goal. Now, to kickstart the campaign, the steering committee has first outlined 12 specific goals under the four A's to achieve the target. And among these goals are ensuring equitable pricing, involving patients in treatment decisions, and also streamlining biosimilar development. Now, as an immediate next step, Sandoz said that the steering committee is working to develop an action plan to provide the strategies, tools, and activities needed to equip and empower stakeholders to realize these 12 goals across the 30 countries and beyond. The steering committee will also draft an action plan in, in conjunction with biosimilar experts and key stakeholders, including patient organizations, healthcare professionals, trade associations, think tanks, government bodies, and professional societies. Now, to support the action plan, a country indicator maps will be used to track and measure changes being driven by groups, associations, and organizations worldwide. So even though biosimilars are less expensive than their reference products, um, there have been a number of challenges in their uptake due to regulatory, manufacturing, and legal obstacles. So um, AbbVie, which is ma uh, the maker of the blockbuster rheumatoid arthritis drug Humira, um, and Humira continues to be the world's best-selling drug overall. Uh, so the company has actually been accused and been in a lot of uh, trouble over accusations of it blocking Humira biosimilar competition by doing things like uh, exercising patent loopholes and um, price hiking. 
So as a result, AbbVie is currently in a lot of uh, trouble and a lot of, you know, fighting legal disputes over claims of creating a market monopoly with Humira. So yeah, you have companies that have the original reference product not quite thrilled about biosimilars coming in to give their product um, some stiff competition. In addition, biosimilar uptake has also been hindered um, partly by concerns and misinformation that they may not be as effective or safe as the original branded product. So as part of the Act for Biosimilars campaign, Sandoz said that it will address such misinformation through informational campaigns and discussions. Now in 2021, Sandoz revealed that it had plans to launch six biosimilars across the U.S. and EU in the next couple of years. And currently, Sandoz has about 15 biosimilar programs in development internally or through partnerships. Now, despite some of the challenges with biosimilar uptake, um, which are being going to be addressed through this Act for Biosimilars campaign by Sandoz, um, the biosimilars market is continuing to grow, and it's expected to grow, uh, go from $15.6 billion in 2021 to a high of $44.7 billion by 2026 at a compound annual growth rate of 23.5%. And this is not surprising because uh, biosimilars have a low cost and they're used in many treatments um, currently and expected to be used in many, many more in the coming years uh, for a lot of different serious and chronic diseases like cancer, psoriasis, arthritis, and diabetes. So what do you think about Sandoz's new biosimilars awareness campaign? I think it's great because um, from just the perspective of maybe regular people who, let's say, don't work in the industry, lots of people still have the idea that the brand name drug is somehow mm -hmm. superior, right? And they just believe that and there hasn't really been some strong education, I think, from um, the industry or maybe even healthcare providers that like it's not necessarily or it, it's not superior. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I think if there's just that increased awareness, um, that could also lead to like significant savings in the healthcare system as well. Very um, true. So I, I do think that the first step is just to address any misinformation out there because yeah i have heard this from you know different different people that oh the brand name drug is is always better it could have like it, it gives me less side effects blah 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 mm. but like maybe they they don't even know that for certain right and it's just something that maybe they heard from someone else or yeah yeah, I think it's also great because it really shines a light on like the greed of these companies. It's like mm. you were mentioning Humira and how it's, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the number one best-selling drug in the world, yet achieving that status is still not enough. They want to maintain right. that, maintain. right? <laughs> and um, it's like, it's really sad that they're trying to protect, you know, mm. I understand they want to protect what they have formed but at the same time 
it's 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 blocking off so many other opportunities for people to um yeah for for market competition and just thinking about it from like a the context of food um since that's more my uh you know my wheelhouse (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but like there's there couldn't not be competition in mm. food. Like it's it's an essential uh, part right. of it. Um, even though there are you know five or so brands that like dominate um, the supermarkets usually in the in in the states at least. Um, there's still competition between mm-hmm. them, and just for consumers, like there has to be um, different price points and there have to be Options. different offerings. Yeah. And and yeah, so. Um, I think this is an excellent campaign. I think we, as people who p- potentially could be prescribed biosimilars, also need to get over the fact that the brand name is not everything, mm-hmm. and that um, we've we've come a long way since since like 2006 with biosimilars. So I think it's an excellent campaign. Absolutely, and those are all such great points. Um, and I think, yeah, just the lack of, I guess, education around the topic. Um, one being that okay, just because it's the branded, you know. Uh, drug doesn't mean or the original brand doesn't mean that it is superior to any um, sort of dupes so to say that come out on the market those dupes are highly regulated you know biosimilars or generic pharmaceuticals Um, they go through regulatory processes to get approval so you know no corners are cut or anything even in their development Um, it's just easier to develop them because you know the prototype is already out there so I think that information really needs to be relayed and especially in terms of biosimilar because we're all familiar with generics, right? Generic drugs. But the term biosimilar, I don't think it's as mainstream or as well-known um, among the general population. And so, you know, people, first off, don't may, many may not even know what a biologic is. And so those conversations really need to happen because people might hear biosimilar, like, what is that kind of a thing? So this is, I think, an excellent campaign to start off those conversations and to build that awareness. Um, and information is definitely key, always. Yeah. All right. So that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.